you have to know how to sell and you have to know how to understand your audience and you have to know how to filter their feedback because clients lie, prospects lie. Distilling that into something that's meaningful and being authentic around it is really difficult um, and getting the best out of, of prospects and, and potential clients to really guide because all of the no's that you get need to feedback into product. Hey guys, welcome to Startup Hand-Me-Downs, the podcast that passes insights from founders and thought leaders down to the next generation. I'm your host, Philip Kusumu, and thank you so much for giving me the next 30 minutes of your time. I promise it'll be worth it. So today I had the pleasure of interviewing Dan Bauer, who is the co-founder and partner at Superseed VC, a seed-based VC firm based in London. Dan and the team invest in technical founders building smart B2B tech startups in the SaaS, health or data space. It's Dan's job to help them get out of startup mode using scalable, repeatable and profitable sales models, ensuring that they have the right people on the bus, creating the right energy, infrastructure and activity to get them to their first million dollars or million pounds rather in reoccurring revenue, which is definitely the most exciting and precarious time for any tech startup. Before Dan was a VC, he was a tech entrepreneur, operator and investor with over 20 years of experience building businesses and implementing digital strategies. Having enjoyed both spectacular failures and some delightful successes, you can definitely say Dan has had a very interesting life. Dan has probably been one of the most interesting VCs I've had on the show because before he started his VC career, he was actually in a boy band managed by Simon Cow. I kid you not. We're going to get into that story into this episode, but on this episode, we talk all things from venture capital to COVID-19 to what it takes to be a strong startup founder and why B2B and sales are probably the most important thing that you need to get your company off the ground. Okay, let's get into the action. So Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Hello, and um, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm all yours. Looking forward to it. So Dan, when you are out and about, how do you introduce yourself? Um, <laughs> who am I speaking to? Is it, uh, hopefully it's just a, hi, I'm Dan, how are you? But um, if it's a, if it's a broader, <laughs> is it, do you mean broader as in what do you do? As in who are you? Yeah. Where do you fit in the world? Let's assume you're at a WeWork event when we were allowed to have events. And it's that kind of room. It's that kind of room. I try. Do you know what I try and do? I, I I have an aversion to hello, how are you? I'm fine. Hello, how are you? I'm fine. So my I, I can be a bit of a contentious prick sometimes. And my my way around that is if somebody says how are you, I will tell them the truth. You know, if I've slept badly or if my I've had an argument with my wife or if you know something awful has happened at work or if we've just closed an amazing deal or whatever it might be. So. I try and and not go into standard spiel, but just try and say, you know, what's what's new with you, and this is what's happening with me at the moment, and here's the problems I'm trying to solve, and here's how I feel about this, and you know, you might talk about Trump, or you might talk about the economy, or COVID, or whatever it might be. So I try and keep it a little bit, a little bit not. Hello, I'm Dan. Uh, I'm a VC. Um, we do seed stage. We invest 100 to 500k into B2B startups. So I find it's a bit dull. Yeah. Um, I mean, not that yes, dull, but like I understand what you mean. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? <laughs> uh, no, that's, that, that makes sense. So, okay. So I guess before we get into kind of like super seed, 
um, the fund, etc., and how you got into the venture. Um, I want to take a little bit about um, early life. So what were you doing before you got into venture? So from my research, I can see that you were an entrepreneur, you founded a few companies. Um, yeah. But even before that, like we were discussing before uh, we came on, you had a different life before all of that as well. Could you could you talk about that? Yeah, I, yeah. I've had, um, as also we were talking about before you started recording, I think it's, uh, you know, we're both big believers in experiences and traveling the world and meeting people and trying new things. And I think that's, you know, I, w- I will suggest that uh, to my kids and, and I, I will actively encourage everyone and anyone I meet to do that. And I, but I don't believe there is such a thing as a wrong decision or a wrong road. It's just, they're just beautiful experiences. So um, I've done lots of things. Um, to, to give a bit of context, I mean, part of the reason why I've kind of bounced around the world and I've never really settled down until recently and I've never really focused on anything for too long is because um, my dad died when I was very young and my mum was very sick since um, I was about 14. So I became her carer very young. And I think when you have things in your childhood that are quite difficult or transformative in some way, it can create a mindset that you don't particularly understand, but it creates a pattern of behavior and a mindset that you tend to follow in later life. So my very disruptive teen, early years and teen years made me kind of think, you know, I'm not going to be alive for very long. This world is, you know, a mess. Um, I'm not probably going to be able to have a family because I came from a very dysfunctional family. So I thought, well, that's, I'm not, I don't want anything to do with that. So I had all these kind of, you know, informative aspects of my early life, which then made me do some, um, made me make some interesting life choices then on. So I left school, didn't go to uni, um, was modeling for a big agency in London. Uh, Davina McCall was my agent, who's a wonderful woman. I love spending time with her. And I don't mean to say that as a, as a name drop or a, a bit of a clang, but um, she's, she's a cool chick. I love her very much. Um, and then from modeling, I um, got an audition to be in a boy band and then and then another name drop clang, worked with Simon Cowell for three years in his first boy band, um, which was good and bad. Um then uh, I had an amazing three years, traveled the world, did some very stupid things and did did some amazing things and dated all the girls and shagged my way around the world and, and did all the drugs and, and it, was all, it was all very debaucherous. Uh, then I, I, I randomly, uh, when I left the band, I, I, I canceled, I negated a deal that I, you know, I had a big, five album deal and and even though it wasn't going particularly well we had it we had a, one successful album and it was you know i i left um unceremoniously and you know didn't have any money um you're very poor in the early days of music because you you owe lots of money to everybody so mm-hmm. I, I was in debt and um c- contract was cancelled bank accounts were cancelled um and i ended up i was working in bars and restaurants and i was just i was in shell shock flouncing around and i randomly got into um fixing computers and i couldn't even tell you how i started i started fixing friends computers and then doing a bit of kind of tech work in 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 the boring basic sense of the word like you know fixing tin then um worked at virgin atlantic and ended up in one of their learning centers where i built a a network and 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 got people to use computers i had to really enjoy this technology business this is mid mid 90s um then 
worked in an internal comms business as their geek. So this, we were selling, and I was part of the sales team as well, selling into FTSE 100, selling internal comms programs to Santander's and the GlaxoSmithKline's, the American Expresses. And I, we were delivering things in those days that were things like interactive CD-ROMs and, and internet kiosks and <clears throat> all these kinds of technical delivery aspects of whatever the internal comms program was. And they just fell in love with tech. And I kind of got it. So, oh, blimey, this, this technology stuff is really cool. Loving computers, loving the then as the internet became more and more popular. Wow, this is all amazing stuff. So I set up a, a, an IT installation and coaching business in London. Um, am I talking too much? Am I going on? I know I can I can waffle on a bit. No, no, it's all interesting. Very, very interesting. So, um, and then uh, set up a, a, an, an IT coaching and installation business, working with mainly smaller businesses. Sorry if you can hear the dogs, the postman's here, I think. Um, working with mainly smaller and some larger businesses in London, uh, installing tin, installing networks, and helping them use these amazing kits to run their businesses better. Um, did that, sold that to my business partner. Um, we're now in 2009-ish, I think, 89. And then um, uh, moved to Cape Town, had a bit of a midlife crisis, moved to Cape semi-retired, inverted commas, moved to Cape Town, and then fell into what became a social media fulfillment house for big brands. So when social became a thing and brands didn't know how to do it, we set up teams that would fulfill those campaigns. It was very lucrative, but God, it was a horrible business. Hated it. Um, it was another service business. Very difficult. Didn't like it, but um, made some money. Um, then started investing in angel investing and investing in other startups, which I'd done a little bit before. Did a bit more. Was, did you exit that business or did you like? Yeah, I, I ended up selling it to an advertising company. And we're not talking, we're talking small lifestyle money, but basically I, I got paid to go away. <laughs> um, 300,000. This was, sorry, what? 300,000, let's say. Yeah, it was a nice, it was a nice few quid, but we're not talking buying yachts in the Seychelles and retiring anytime soon. Um, right. And then, uh, then started investing, angel investing, ran an incubator down in Cape Town, which invested in seven other startups and kind of, I was still messing around. I still wasn't taking life too seriously, started really enjoying it. Um, then my mum fell sick in 14. I came back to look after her. Um, she's fine now. It was, uh, she, well, she's fine but she, to a degree, but she's fine. Um, and then uh, met my business partner while I was consulting and helping some friends uh, start some businesses, co-founding an HR tech business, starting some other businesses, closing down some others. So it's a bit more of a kind of consulting gig, sitting on the sidelines right. a little bit. Yeah. I met my now business partner. We looked at each other. We were we were working on some some of the gigs at the same time um, with some friends with the with these startups and, and these other funds, and thought, you know, we should we've got some money, we've got some skill, we've we've done this before, we should do this for ourselves. And that's where Superseed came from. And um, my partner's very different to me. He's very structured, rigorous, legal, financial, and I'm I'm very flighty in relationship. And you know, sort of, let's let's let, let's you know ruffle some feathers. Let's break some eggs and get some stuff moving. So we, we're, it's a really lovely union where we where we see the world from very different perspectives. But we have this conjoined vision of you know wanting to make startups awesome and wanting to do wanting to disrupt the business world and make make business smarter. And that, right. that was that was the beginning of Superseed. That was three years ago. 
that's an incredible story from boy band star to <laughs> <Z-Pan>. <laughs> well, I can say for sure you definitely are the first person on the show to have had such an array of different experiences and you know it's fascinating because I think it all bodes well and it all kind of culminates to making you a very interesting person and giving you life experience that is kind of transferable into the VC world because the VC world in my experience is is, is a mixture of people who come from loads of different backgrounds, but it's what makes a great VC someone who can be relatable to, to other founders and to people from different backgrounds. So I think it's actually quite a very advantageous your, your background in this case. Um, and so with, with, with Super C, so how, how big is the fund? Um, and what, and what do you guys focus on? We've got, um, there's two funds. We've got an EIS fund, which we top up ourselves, which is a small 3 million fund. And we've got a, a, a 30 million LPGP fund, which we are hopefully going to be closing this year. He says, you know, fingers crossed, everything crossed. Yeah. Um, so we're half, we're halfway through fundraising for that. Um, so we're both on the same strategy. So we, we invest in B2B startups that are built by technical founders and we try and look for the outliers, the, the kind of the weird and wonderfuls who are building technology that's going to transform how back office in, and business is done. So a lot of automation, um, industry 4.0, IoT, SaaS, vertical SaaS, that kind of stuff is what we love. And it's what we kind of know. So my, my partner has uh, built a, he, he did one big SaaS business and one big exit and I've done a number of little kind of dicking around things so again it's where where we where we where we complement each other beautifully but we both have this kind of love for making making business much smarter than than the 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 mess that it is currently yeah and I guess even with now that's more important now than ever right yeah well our, our our thesis has only been strengthened by recent events with COVID and and um, economic turmoil. I mean, a lot of what we're doing is is helping businesses, you know, run run smarter back office and a bit, a little bit of kind of smart city stuff. A little bit of life sciences in there as well. It's not just pure business, but it's all it's all the same principle. It, it's it's doing things smarter at a at a deeper tech level. Um, and the thesis has only been strengthened by all of the turmoil. Yeah, it hasn't been hasn't been. You know, thank goodness we're not in consumer. Absolutely, and. Um- as you said, you're halfway through fundraising for the fund now, but I, you guys have already started to deploy capital. Yeah, we will do. We've, we've got 10, 10 in our, what we're calling our kind of our demo portfolio, our proof of concept portfolio, because our value add is helping them sell. So if startups want to work with us in this way, and sometimes it's not the right timing or we're not the right team, but um, we we are arrogant enough to think that because we've been there and done it and bought the t-shirt and sold to these big businesses that we can help them accelerate their sales curve. So we help them build sales playbooks and go to market playbooks. That's the, that's the value add if it's chosen and it seems to go down well, um, where we can get 18 month pipelines down to six months. And that, that's the difference between life and death at seed stage. So that's, that's, that's what we try and do. Yeah. And that's what, that's, that's actually something I really want to kind of like delve into kind of like, you know, for SaaS, um, you know, BB principles. Um, you know, I saw that being one of your, like you mentioned, one of your strengths. How? What are kind of like best practices, or what are the principles in order to have like an effective BB strategy? Uh, there are no. 
I mean, any people talk about um, kind of simulating playbooks and and there are maybe 10 books that you can read that will give you the entire thesis to writing solid playbooks. And you can strategize and thesisize up the yin-yang. The, the brutal truth is that every business is different and every playbook is different. And at seed stage, you could argue that you're not, you're not ready for go-to-market playbooks just yet. Actually, what you are ready for is is being in the mess and 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 building a solid product mar- product market fit, which is true. Um, but you still need sales at the sharp pointy ends to deliver that, and there's no way around it. You you can strategize as, as much as you like, unless you have absolute solid client feedback as to what you're doing, and then you can be the best filter in the world to make that into a you know develop your product market fit. Then then all, all the sales playbooks aren't going to make any difference. But there are some rules that you need to abide by, you know, basic stuff that, I mean, you will know standing on your head and anybody listening to this will, will, will appreciate it around, you know, not try, trying to sell into too many territories, you know, focus on core personas, be, be rigorous around um, testing channels, be rigorous around um, finding out in a cold sense what your clients need and also through warm referrals what they need and make sure that those things marry. Um, making sure that you understand what stage of business that you're at and finding the right people to deliver on the existing strategy, accepting that it will change, focusing on founder sales, not hiring VP of sales too early. And I, I could right. waffle on forever, but there are there are a lot of objective things that you just have to read the books and you have to do well and there's nothing you can really mess with. And then there's a whole bunch of subjective stuff where you have to make it your own because there are no real rules. There's lots of great best practice, but really you have to make it absolutely pertain to you. And that's that's getting the best advisors, getting the best coaches, reading all the books, and then and then as a CEO and the founding team becoming the best filter for all of this information because you'll be inundated. Well, that's a, that's, um, that's a, that's a lot of stuff to unpack. And I guess in terms of like structure, I know you, I know you said there isn't really, uh, you know, strategy, the best practice, et cetera, but have you, can you give me an example of a startup that you've seen do BD wrong and like where you've kind of come in and, and turned, turned it around for them? The classic, the classic mistake is something that I've mentioned already. It's 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 hiring your, it's hiring your god of sales. All the founders, I think, in our portfolio, at some point, actually, some haven't quite got there yet, but I'm sure they will get there. When you first start your business, you're shit at hiring. It doesn't matter whether you're hiring in the sales um, function or other functions. You're, you're just cra- you're crap at hiring. Generally, generally speaking, we're we're generalizing here to make friends, right? Um, <laughs> And what they, what they do is they 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 take their foot off the gas. They move back into product. They hire a VP of sales, and they go, "Phew! I don't have to think about sales anymore." Because Dave, who's an expert in selling whatever our SaaS solution into you know large financial services organizations, he's got the black book. He's a guru. I don't have to do it anymore. Job done. And it's it's just not true. It's especially in the early stages, you have to bottle founder sales and you have to really, really, as as the founding team, get to version one of your playbook before you hire anybody into the sales function. And you have to agree what KPIs at your stage of business are going to uh, 
um, make sense to 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 show you when you've got a playbook that works according to the stage of business that you're at. It, it can be a little bit messy and that's okay, but you have to have something. It's not going to be like the scalable, repeatable, profitable model just yet, but it has to be something that works in channel against specific personas on your beachhead and you're bottling founder sales before you hire VP or any, any senior sales role. And that's the one thing that is a very common mistake. Yeah, because I guess, like you said, the idea is that, oh, we're going to hire a VP of sales. You know, sales is not our thing. We're the founders. We're going to do the other band stuff. But it very much is your job. Yeah, yeah it really is. And and you, you have to know how to sell and you have to know how to understand your audience and you have to know how to filter their feedback because clients lie, prospects lie. Everybody yeah. lies, as, um, as, as House used to say. Everybody lies. So distilling that into something that's meaningful and being authentic around it is really difficult um, and getting the best out of, of prospects and, and potential clients to really guide because all of the no's that you get need to feed back into product and all of mm-hmm. the yeses that you get need to feel, feel feed forward into, into playbook. So you need to do both concurrently and it's a really hard task but if you if you understand a lot of the fundamentals you can you can get that down into that 3 to 6 month bracket wow i mean 3 to 6 months for a saas b2b company is you know that's that's the dream right yeah, my, my assumption is that you have working product and my assumption is that you've sold a couple of pocs so my my starting point uh, our our investment starting point is generally working product um, few POCs for client validation and you know you're onto something and then all you've really got to do is go and fish where the fish are you've just got to and you can have the clumsiest thing that doesn't make any kind of sense as a sales um, model just yet but if you have something that people want to buy they'll find a way to buy from you and obviously the the, the, the more differentiated and the more special you are the easier it is to position and then the and the sales will flow but that's hard these days because you know there's an app for everything so you, you have to be you sometimes have to you know be quite quite unique or quite special i don't i don't always buy the 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 first the first in line i don't i don't think um first mover um advantage is 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 really available anymore i'm, I'm slightly talking out of turn now but i think that's those days are kind of gone but taking yeah. a strong taking a strong position and 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 holding firm is 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 important no, absolutely. And, and and I was also of the belief that first movers in this day and age is quite difficult to achieve. I think yeah. so. I think, I mean, I've, I've always preferred to go in on the coattails of somebody else. Yeah. I think it's our ego that demands as founders that we're first, we're the best, we're the biggest, we're the brightest. And you know what? Some of the smartest founders that I've worked with look for the market player and go, oh, that's really cool. I'm going to do this, this, and this tweak, and then I'm going to follow in on, on those on that guy's coattails. He's going to crack open the market, or she, should I say. They're going to crack open the market. They're going to make this headway, and all I'm going to do is, is, to, is take alternate positions along the way. Steal some of their clients, potentially, but 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 make sure that um, this this product strand absolutely wipes up on, on the way behind them. Yeah. I think that's, um, I mean, I guess, you know, we're both going against Peter Thiel's zero to one philosophy here, <laughs> but um, I think that's kind of like the approach more so in this, in like Silicon Valley, like kind of you know be a you know a pioneer, monopolies of everything, um, own the space, and then kind of be the first mover. But I think more and more as we realise it's, it's just a bit too hard to actually do that. 
Well, everything's uh, hard, isn't it? Every everything. I mean, being being a founder is probably the hardest job in the world, in the business world. It's probably the hardest job to to to, to create anything meaningful. And the first thing you have to do as founder, really, when you start to get traction and you start to get through the other side of product market fit into go to market fit and scale. And that's the other thing that startups do. They confuse growth with scale, but we can talk about that later. But the next thing that you need to do as a founder is work out your own strengths and weaknesses and learn some humility around them. So you have to to have this massive ego to do it almost, this massive strength and will to do it. And then immediately you start making headway. You have to ask yourself the very kind of deep-rooted question of, are you now going to be the CEO? Founding and CEOing are two very different things. And just because you can connect some dots and, and, and take a chunk out of a market doesn't mean that you can run a scalable business. And it's really hard. I mean, I've, I've struggled this with this myself, and I've realized that I'm not I'm not a CEO. I'm, I'm, I'm a founder. I, I create a mess and connect some dots and get some people to think in the right ways and open some, some sales doors. But I'm, I'm, not, I'm not very good at running a business. So I have to be very mindful of that. And I think that's a, that's a very poignant thing that every founder will have to, to focus on at some point. Yeah, no, I think that, that is a very, very good point. It's just being honest with yourself. Yeah, it's hard. Uh, it's hard. This, Sometimes you have to ignore everyone. Sometimes you have to say, I don't care what you say. I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it anyway. And again, some of the best CEOs that I've worked with and seen have I'm a hypersensitive character. Everything bothers me. So I can have a bad conversation with an investor or a startup and I'll ruminate on it for weeks. Whereas the smartest entrepreneurs that I've met don't give a shit. They just they don't care. They're on to the next thing, on to the next thing. Whatever, whatever, move on. And I'll be sitting there, you know, twitching in the corner, paranoid that I've said the wrong thing. And they'll be like, whatever, shut up. Let's get on with it. So yeah. you have to be so bloody minded, but then also at the same time so so full of humility and so you know dropping the ego it's a, it's a hard it's a hard thing to do for many not all very very hard so oh, going back to kind of like SaaS companies and SaaS businesses i wanted to know what are your thoughts on kind of like how do you go about reconciling cac your customer acquisition costs because obviously for a SaaS b2b business it's a it's, it's a bit different well it's very different to you know, calculating your CAC if you were a consumer product, you know, you know, pay for installs, downloads, etc. But I guess when it comes to B2B, you know, long sales cycle, you know, five year plus LTV ideally, how do you how do you go about thinking about CAC? Um at our stage of investment the only thing that you have to read because we're, we're 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 at seed, so you know we're in early early days of evolution. So I think I think CAC, LTV, those things are very important to understand and to appreciate and to start building KPIs around. But you could you could conversely argue that at seed stage, you you need to you need to sometimes have proxies for things. Um, so for example, on the CAC basis, if you don't have that kind of data to hand to know exactly how long and how much a customer acquisition has cost you know that it takes a month and we're going to a portion you know whatever four hours per month sorry four hours per week of you know dave's time who's who's leading that operation and dave is 60 quid an hour you can you can create some proxies and some approximations to this but you don't want to be spending so much time that it suffocates you because it doesn't as long as you abide by the basic rules i mean if you've got a stack them high sell them cheap social media toolkit and you've got you know 
a fifty thousand pound a year sales guy selling it, and your 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 price point is twenty five dollars a hit, then you know that's those those unit economics are just not going to work. So the the basic economics are if your if your price point is let's say a thousand pounds per month average average sale then you can afford a sales guy so you got to you got to abide by the basic rule sets but cac you you should you should create some very simple kpis and some very simple either proxy or, or other metrics around it but don't get stuck in it don't look at the basics on the back of a fag packet but don't get lost in it otherwise you're wasting your, your time on the wrong things <laughs> the back of a fag packet <laughs> Um, no, yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. And I guess as far as kind of like the other focus of the of the fund on kind of like deep tech and AI, it, is that part of your business partner's expertise, or how do you go about like monitoring that and assessing that? Or yeah, you- I mean, my partner does. I mean, I I know enough to be dangerous, and and he writes algorithms for breakfast. I mean, he's he he's he's a polymath brain, um, but when it comes to diligence and often with um, sourcing and with working with startups, we won't do a lot of that because that's not our day job anyway. Um, So we will work with a bunch of partners who are specialist in whatever, you know, the flavor of technology that the startup is using. You know, we've got guys that work in whatever NLP, computer vision, super deep tech bio uh, and we'll lean on those those specialties to to really get to the nuts and bolts because my partner is much smarter than me and knows a lot more about these things you know even even he shouldn't be doing that not only for time but also for for specialty yeah no absolutely got it and i guess i want to switch gears now and and focus on um you know the current climate that we're in you know covid19 and I guess, how have you guys as a fund been affected uh, by the current climate? And, you know, have you changed your approach towards, I guess, still sourcing as well? We haven't been affected in the negative sense. Um, yeah, I guess you mentioned earlier that it's, it's kind of like solidified and, and even proven more so important, your thesis. Yeah, I think... We, we have we have cash to deploy even though we're raising I mean I think raising is going to be more interesting but raising for us like raising for startups is sometimes just a long journey and finding the right partners is hard so um, and because we're a first time LPGP fund so this this isn't like we can go back to our existing you know fund one two investors and say that this is you know this is how we're tweaking strategy this is what we're doing come back in we can we, we can't do that we don't have a gazillion exits or even that many up rounds. We've only had a few a few up rounds because the, the, the average age of the portfolio is about nine months. So it's, it's all very young and new. So we don't know. I don't know about the negative effects on the fundraising side. On the investing side, um, valuations are more sensible, I think. So the world has changed and valuations have, have, have changed. The froth has been blown off the market. And I think that needed to happen regardless anyway. Um, I think SEIS, EIS in the UK has fueled a lot of the nonsense valuations. There's no real commercial reality in some of the valuations that we see. Um, but we need to keep it reasonable. You don't want to be doing down rounds in a year if you're a startup, but also you want to you want to prove your value and, and you know make sure that you're not diluting too much. And so there's that balancing act to be found. But so valuations have dropped. I think in panic mode, so for, for much of April, May, I, I think there's maybe a 30% drop across the board. Um, 
I think that I think people are out of that panic mode now is my sense of things. People are getting bored of COVID and they're kind of going back to business as usual. But that was that that was quite prevalent. Um, the raises, I kind of, I guess that they, they, they dropped a little bit. So there was a little bit of, you know, we're not going to raise one and a half mil. We're going to raise 700K now and we'll come back to it later in the year. So there was, there was a bit of a strategy change with regards to the startups. Um, and, but for us, I guess the biggest, the biggest thing that happened since March was deal flow just went up. Deal flow went up probably threefold. It's really hard. I mean, I'm, st- I'm still sat on in an inbox where I've got to get back to people that, that reached out in, well, actually not April anymore. Maybe maybe mid mid May. Um, so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm way behind. So that that was a that was a big um, a big uplift in in deal flow. So that was a, that was a massive shift. And we try and get back to everybody that applies or everybody that we speak to. We try and give meaningful feedback to rather than just saying thank you but no thank you. But it's really hard. It's very hard. And I'm, I mean, I think yeah, I remember pitching VCs, and you know, sometimes they would be really thoughtful, and I always used to appreciate the VCs that actually took the time out to kind of like, yeah. especially if I had met them and they'll give, you know, really insightful feedback and the other ones I was just like, nah, it's not for me. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, uh, I mean, you try, you try and be as useful as possible. I think it's, it's very difficult. And some, some pitches are so left field or so kind of out there or so not on our on our target or niche yeah you, you have to ignore um, um but those that you think are onto something but maybe it's just not quite on strategy for you or they're not quite ready yet i i always try and give detailed feedback um and, but also fully accepting that you know it's their business what the hell what the hell do i know and um and sometimes my my feedback has, has not been received that favorably where it's i, I tend to be a little bit too curt and a little bit too candid and sometimes forget that it's their baby and there's a lot of sensitivities around that and that that sometimes is a difficult balance to find because you want somebody to stop doing something that is objectively stupid um you you pretty much always can't say that but i tend to because i prefer to be slapped I, I, i prefer to slap and be slapped and everything's out on the table than than give give um platitudes because i just think that's pointless yeah, no, 100%, 100%. And just going back to kind of like the strategy for some startups, in terms of your portfolio at the moment, have has anything drastically changed with some of your companies and have you had to kind of step in? Because I know, you know, a few weeks ago, I've spoken to many different kind of VCs and there have been a lot of emergency board meetings and re-strategizing and cost-cutting. No, no. no, we've not had, I mean, because we invest in, mainly deeper tech back office business software SaaS data yada 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 everything is there there's been a few sales calls that have been put on hold for example for our startups but there's no we've got one in our portfolio that were due to fundraise so that there was a a timing oh shit moment on on the fundraising side but we've worked around that but there's no there's no emergency board meetings. Oh my goodness, this is you know destroyed this strategy. What are we going to do? No, because the, the 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 teams that we invest in are um, luckily mostly mostly well funded. That's just luck because we've only got a small portfolio at the moment. That was just pure luck, and also because of the nature of their businesses, they've not they've not been affected as much as many. Right. Wow. Okay. That's good. And I guess from like a, I know you mentioned that you're still getting back to some people. So you're still getting a steady amount of inbound. So as as far as deal sourcing goes, nothing's really changing often. 
No, and I, I've seen a few people build some very clever deal sourcing tools, and I saw Hoxton recently closed a, a fund, and yeah. there was an article on 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 their they've got a, a kind of a, a scraping tool that that looks for um, interesting people and their and their 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 social media journeys. Have they changed jobs or have they you know, registered a business? So there's, they've got some very clever kind of scraping tools. And I've always wanted to build something that's a, a better deal sourcing tool for us along the same lines. And also when it's not the right deal for us, being able to guide the startup using, using more than just crunch base or angel list or whatever to actually guide them to, to people that would want to speak to them uh, about funding. Um, so I would really, and I think we will build those tools. I think it's it's not going to happen tomorrow, but I think we will build those tools, and that that will definitely affect deal flow and deal sourcing. Um, we do get a lot of partner deal flow inbound, but we're always late to the game because we're new. Um, and a lot of the inbound that we get, even though it's getting more on points because we don't have a well-established brand in the market, people don't people kind of you know email dear dear hello sir madam. Um, and then it's a generic pitch that's got nothing to do with what we do. So hopefully as our brand builds and people get to understand what we do, then then we'll, we'll have more of a, a, a specific inbound flow as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. And look, who knows, maybe after this show, you, that will happen. There you go. I'm, I'm in your hands, Phil. It's, you know, it's down to you, my man. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess like, you know, have you guys discussed what kind of like the, the world looked like post-COVID? Um, you know, obviously, there's lots of discussion around, you know, economic downturn. Yeah, which- screwed. Everyone is screwed. This is going to yeah. be a, this is going to be the recession of our lifetime. We're all we are all fucked. Um, but I but I feel as though during these times is when you know VC tends to kind of do quite well, right? Like, yep. I think some great businesses come out of economic downturns, as we, which we've all seen over the last few weeks. Um, you know, maybe it, things take longer and there are down rounds, etc. And it's not as, as frothy as it used to be. But I think that's that's a that's a good thing in the VC it is world. A good thing. No, you, you, I think you're spot on. I mean, yeah, the whatever Slack, Pinterest, Uber, they all came out of the 2008 crisis. VC funds, as a rule, um, if you invest in in VC now, then you'll get the the next year's vintage will be the the biggest for the next economic cycle. And that's that. The facts and the stats are out there online. If anybody wants to have a look at that, or they can, or I can send it. I mean, we've done all the research; we can send it. So, so yeah, VC does well in in downturn on the other side, and there are some always some super interesting startups that not only come out of downturns but are fueled by downturns. Yeah, um, that's that. That is it, it. If I was to start a business in uh, using the web, I would do it now. Wow. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, with companies who never thought they could work from home, being able to work from home, being forced to work from home and seeing that actually works, I think we're going to see a lot more companies going to the the remote workspace, Uh, maybe having like an office, just like a holding place to hold meetings every now and again. But I don't think, I think the way we have worked is going to be, it's going to transform. I think so. I think so. I think there's, I mean... I've loved lockdown personally because I get to see my family. I don't otherwise. I'm. I, I've, I have a four-hour commute a day. I live in the middle of nowhere, and um, I think there's. I've I've had a massive slap in the face that said, "Hang on a minute. You know, life is too short for for this. And you mm-hmm. can be productive, and you can make a difference, and you can do cool stuff." Um, yeah. I think for many that's not possible or available. 
And I also think that we have short-term memories and, and people will tend to go back to old behaviors and buy lots of crap in the high street and travel on planes a lot and go back to the office a lot. And I think there is a, there will be a, a you know, a chunk of the population that are very short-termist about it. Um, but I hope you're right. I think, I think, I think that, that the world has changed and, and this will, this will create a new wave of working differently. I think that's right. Yeah. And just finally on this topic, like, what do you feel that COVID has exposed within like the startup, the startup ecosystem during this time? Uh, um, like, stuff that we've said. Sorry, go on, go on. Yeah, I was going to say like, just, you know, we've already discussed like high valuations, et cetera, but like, is there, is there anything else that you think has been exposed during this period? I don't know yet. Uh, I think there's a lot of noise around what's changed and what's going to change. And I'm not sure that the data will bear the same answers. For example, there were a lot of uh, a lot of surveys around, you know, are angels investing? Are funds investing? What's happening with valuations? What's happening with raise amounts? What's happening with volume? And there were a lot of people saying a lot of things. And I'm not sure that the data will back up the bullshit that was said. And I think in startup land, we, who knows? I mean, Airbnb got a big lift out of the last um, downturn because people wanted to save money and, and still travel. So yeah. are there going to be user stories around existing startups that get an uplift? And we're not talking about the Zooms and those kinds of players or e-commerce delivery or logistics, but, but are, there, are there outlier use cases where there's a random sector or style of company that gets a boost because of economic downturn or working from home or some other flexible you know work life and I, it might well be that childcare services dog walking um hairdressing events that it might be that these kinds of industries are disrupted in a way where startups can find a new method that is much more much less face-to-face focus but is much more effective than the ways that we're doing it currently and that might well be i think that might well be a, a way that startups are going to leverage the downturn and, and 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 covid and the experiences that we've had but knowing what those things are right now i, I don't have any i don't have any tea leaves yeah no, that's good uh, so dan i'm going to work towards wrapping up now and i always ask all my guests these rapid fire questions okay so here we go what has or who has been your biggest inspiration today? My wife. That's good. Uh, favorite podcast? Uh, Infinite Monkey Cage. Apart from yours. Infinite Monkey Cage? I haven't heard that one. What's that about? Uh, it's not a business. Um, it's not a business podcast. It's by Brian Cox and Robin Ince. Um, it's about the universe and technology in the broadest sense and biology. And it's, um, it's a very cool kind of uh, current affairs, tech, space, evolution. And they always have really interesting, interesting guests. Oh, well, check it out. Uh, favorite blog? Um, Eric Barker's um, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. It's a psycho blog. Okay, nice. Favourite book? The book that... It's it's a shit book, but the... The E-Myth by Michael Gerber was an eye-opener for me when I first became an entrepreneur. This was back in the 
bloody early mid 90s whenever it was long time ago anyway it, it 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 really set the ground rules for what an entrepreneur was and what a and what just a, you know if if just because i've i've bought a van sign written it and gone out and sold internet that doesn't make me an entrepreneur and also mm. because just because i'm really good at you know buying a van getting in it and selling internet doesn't mean that i'm really good at running a business that does those things and it was a real like very simplistic eye opener for me but the the, the e myth by michael gerber was the that first eureka moment oh oh i get it oh like and that was the that was the ground rules for me Interesting. Sorry, not very rapid fire. Sorry, sorry. No, that's fine. That's fine. Um, favorite Instagram or Twitter account? I'm not on social media. I have a Twitter feed because I use it for um, news. It's my it's my news channel, so I use it to follow all of the news feeds and all of the interesting people. I don't I don't have any other social, so I deleted all that years ago. Um, my favorite Twitter account is probably really something dull like BBC News. And there's a, there's a really fascinating journal called Lucy Wainwright, who's super rude and very lefty and very out there. But Lucy Wainwright's always fun. Um, but I use it for news. I'm, I'm, I'm not really a massive social freak, even though I, I say stupid things and I often tweet bollocks. But I, I, you know, it's not, I mean, that's just to get, get stuff out of my head more than to be interesting. Right. I get you. Um, what do you wish you could do that you currently can't do? Uh, be, be harder. I wish I could be, I wish I could turn off my sensitivities. I wish I could be my, if my, if I had a superhero trait, it'd be hard man where I had no empathy and no emotion and gave zero shits. Uh, that's very interesting. I haven't had, I've never had that response before. <laughs> um, <laughs> Advice would you give to your twenty-one-year-old self? Um, get on with it. Don't don't listen to the fears in your head. Get on with it. Get on with it. If you had a hundred pounds in your favourite city, what would you spend it on, and where? Uh, some form of experience. It would probably be in Cape Town, where I lived for five years, and it would probably be um, lunch on the beach, a barbecue or a bry as the, as the Saffirs say, a bry on the beach. And it would be, you know, buying all, all the best meat and veg and having a, having a bry on the beach with some mates. Nice. Uh, what's the one thing startups should ignore in the early days? Oh, that's a super question. What should they ignore? Um, <laughs> there's so many um, um my immediate go-to was advice from people that haven't been there and done it um yeah. uh so i, I think i have to stand by that because there's there's a million other things swimming around my head but you know own, you know ignore everybody apart from those that have been there and done it when you say that been there and done it do you mean like started a business like yours and stop yeah. it or yeah yeah, they need to. They need to. This is the tough thing about startup. Yeah, advice is advice is easy, but unless you have started a business, you know nothing about startup. Unless you've been a founder in a startup, you know nothing about startup. Unless you have worked in that domain and sold in that domain, you know nothing about that domain and selling in that domain. It's just they're just base facts. You might have you know a good sales playbook, or you might have an interesting idea about how to run a business, or you might have experienced as a as an employee certain things but you just don't know you don't you really don't yeah no i i, I absolutely agree um yeah 
it, I was, you know, too much advice is, I, uh, my piece of advice to people is always like, uh, don't take too much advice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll be the best filter. I think, I think you, you should listen, listen to everyone and anyone within reason, but you, you have to learn how to be the best filter and, yeah. and to filter out the nonsense. Absolutely. And finally, what's, what's the vision you have for Superseed? What's the goal um, you have for Superseed? I want to be the first choice for European founders as a as a sales focused fund. So if you're if you're founding a business that's in B2B in Europe, I want I want to be known and and first on your list to call to invest in your company. That's awesome. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Pleasure. Um, Pleasure to speak and to and to chat. Yeah, uh, I know you like to remain uh, kind of like hidden, but if people want to find you, where can they find you and get in contact? Uh, so my my name on Twitter, Dan Bowyer, but I just please forgive the nonsense that I tweet. Um, Dan Bowyer on LinkedIn and Dan Bowyer will bring up the Superseed page and you can find out more about the fund there. And they can send, you can send, you can accept pictures through the website as well. Yeah, there's there's a there's a sh- share date button on the website. Um or you, or you can find me anywhere and, and and reach out. I'll tend to push you back to the website because it pushes you into our platform and then asks you the questions that I would ask you. So it's a bit of a shortcut so I can see at a glance how you're thinking. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, pleasure. Cheers, Philip. Just want to say another huge thank you to Dan for a great conversation. I really, really enjoyed that episode. And honestly, I think as far as B2B goes and why it's so important, I think he's done a really great job in breaking that down. So thank you so much, Dan. As always, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review on the Apple Podcasting app or anywhere you listen to your favorite podcasts. They honestly do go a long way. Until next time, guys, keep grinding.